This is Your Money with Nancy Snedden of BDO, Licensed Insolvency Trustees. The views and opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of this station. Your Money with Nancy Snedden of BDO on VOCM. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Your Money with Nancy Snedden. I am Nancy Snedden. Thanks so much for tuning in today. On today's show, we're going to talk about the gig economy. The economic uncertainty continues to really motivate Canadians to search out for ways to supplement their current income. And if you're among them and considering the gig economy with a side hustle, our guest has some really great advice for you today. He's a personal finance expert, public speaker, blogger, and freelance writer, and also contributor for many media sources, including the Globe and Mail, Money Sense, the Toronto Star, just to name a few. His website, moneywehave.com, has been around since 2014 and is a go-to source really for many when it comes to personal finance management. Barry Choi, thank you for joining me today. No problem. Happy to be here. So Barry, we know that many Canadians, including those here in Newfoundland and Labrador, are really struggling financially right now. We look at rising interest rates, soaring inflation, and you know, still recovering from the pandemic that we've all spent the last two years in. And all of it is taking a real toll on our household budgets. So to help make ends meet, many have or are now considering the gig economy to supplement their income. So before we talk about the surveys that show, you know, the true growth in the gig economy, I want to flag that these polls generalize it as those working with gig economy. However, it includes Canadians earning income in all levels of what is now deemed the platform economy, which the Canada Revenue Agency has identified four types of businesses, a sharing economy, using or sharing personal assets to earn revenue, and that would be like an Airbnb, uh, an Uber, like those types of things. The gig economy, which is freelance or short-term contract-based work, um, peer-to-peer, so selling of goods from one person or party directly to another. So think of like the Ebays, the Etsys, that kind of thing. Or social media or social influencers, so income earned through social media platforms uh, via advertising revenue, subscriptions, product placement, etc. So regardless of which so-called economy you're currently engaged in, according to a recent survey by the Direct Sellers Association of Canada, two in five Canadians at 42% pursued opportunities in the past year to make additional income. That's actually up 11% from last year, which is significant. Inflationary concerns are now driving almost two in three at 64% to consider pursuing ways to supplement their income in the coming year. This is up 7% from last year. And the largest demographic considering this is those ranging from 18 to 44 years old, which is probably not a surprise, uh, and individuals who are employed on a part-time basis and students. So another survey, this one from H&R Block, shows that the gig economy workforce has increased to more than 1 in 10 at 13% of Canadians since the start of the pandemic. Before the pandemic, that percentage was about 8%. The survey also showed that a further third are open to joining the gig economy. So, Barry, what's your response to these surveys and, and the growth that we're seeing in this sort of economy? You know, I'll say that they're, uh, the surveys are consistent. I remember when I started doing this uh, gig economy stuff, you know, five, six, seven years ago, um, the numbers were at 25%, and then it went to 30%, and it's 45% and then all of a sudden the pandemic hit, 
and now you know we're talking about numbers close to 50 percent uh it really shouldn't be a surprise and i, I expect them to go up especially with inflation rising you know if you think about a household budget you can only cut expenses so much so like honestly cutting your daily coffee or, or your subscription services can only go so far when when gas prices uh, although they've come down a little bit have gone up groceries. Um, so I think people are just looking for multiple income streams and they're all willing to try different things. Uh, but I also think that people who try these new things will quickly learn that it's not uh, easy money as it seems to be advertised in most places. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, many people were already struggling financially. We knew before the pandemic that 54% of Canadians were living paycheck to paycheck. So to your point, cutting down on subscription fees or trying to reduce the money that you're spending on sort of takeout and that kind of thing is people were already doing that to some extent, mm-hmm. right? So there, it didn't leave them a lot of additional room uh, coming into this sort the soaring inflation that we're seeing right now. So I'm not surprised either that we're seeing so many people looking for uh, another source of income. How much do you think technology is, is leading the charge here or, or I guess leading the change when it comes to the gig economy? Well, I think technology has always been there, but with the pandemic, I think people were starting to search out uh, those tools, the technology to actually create a uh, passive income, if you want to call it that, because, you know, let's be real, it's never passive income. You're actually working for it. Um, so so I, I will say this, you know, as the tools gain more, you know, users, they have more money coming in, uh, which allows them to build a better user experience. Uh, you, you know, you think back a few years ago, it would be crazy to think that people would be, you know, delivering Uber uh, on the side, uh, you know, food delivery is what I'm talking about, or DoorDash or, or whatever. Uh, but then as soon as the pandemic came along and then, you know, everyone was getting takeout, it was just this huge market, you know, even from where I live, I live in a pretty busy area in Toronto. And I remember in the past, I might see one guy on an e-bike clearly delivering Uber. And now I can see, you know, up to 10 people just going for a walk. Uh, so, so technology has made a huge difference. Uh, and, and people are, are realizing it's not just the platforms themselves where you can get the economy, but it's also the tools outside of it. You know, again, using uh, Uber as an example, people are thinking, like, oh, I would need a, a car and that costs me money. Well, you know, if you live in the high traffic area, you could just get an e-bike or an e-scooter and still make deliveries. So, so there are low cost ways to, to jump onto the gig economy using available technology. And I think people are, are quickly seeing that. That's a really good point. I I agree with you. I think I see far more people um, delivering, like just in my own neighborhood, right? And as you notice, people Mm -hmm. getting deliveries from like skip the dishes and and stuff like that. So I think it really has taken off over the pandemic. People got used to it during the pandemic and continue to, to use it, I think. So what advice do you have for listeners who may be considering entering the gig economy? How did they get started? You know, I think it really comes down to your your personal skills first, right? And this can be a little tricky. So, you know, anyone can deliver food. Like I said, if it happens to work out for you or or be an Uber driver, it obviously depends on where you live, local laws. Uh, There's a lot of other background stuff. Uh, So that's probably one of the the easiest things to get into. But I like to tell people to, like, think about the skills that you, you have right now. Maybe you're a graphic designer or maybe you're just a handyman or a woman, right? Like, like anything that you can do uh, can actually be sold online if you want to say that, that now. There's a few websites, you know, so I'll quickly mention called CapsTravit and Upwork, where you basically market your services online. You, you know, here's a good example. It's like, I am terrible at hanging photos. I can never get 
some aligned straight. I'm always worried that I'm going to destroy my walls. Uh, I hired a handyman to do it. Like, sure, could I've figured it out, but like, you know, I was literally stressing it about for weeks, and I paid a guy two hundred dollars, and he come and hung it in like ten minutes. So obviously, it was a a good deal for him. And was it a good deal for me? Again, like I said, I was literally stressing about this for weeks. Uh, so to me, it is good value. So, so my point is to, to listeners is that there are a lot of opportunities out there. Uh, you just got to explore what you're good at and what you're willing to do. And at the same time, you know, market yourself. Uh, that can even be the friends and family or using technology we were talking about earlier to, to get the clients out there. Yeah, and I think sometimes too people think about, okay, well, what do I do as an occupation and, and would I be able to, you know, do some of this on the side uh, to earn some extra money? But something that people don't often consider is that they have a hobby that they enjoy doing and they maybe don't give themselves enough credit on that it could be a marketable um item that they could sell or a market, marketable skill, right, that they could sell to your point in, in hanging pictures. And and people, I'm sure at home would go, I can't believe that someone is getting paid to hang pictures, but <laughs> it is, it, it, depending on what you're hanging, you're right. Like you can do some damage to your wall. Um, yeah. You know, it's hard sometimes to, to get it hung perfectly and that matters to people. And so, and so the, the things that you might think are, are strange to consider as, as earning extra money, um, many people would pay for those services. Services. And we talked a little bit um, earlier about like the, the Etsy's and the Ebay's and, and stuff like that. And I think, you know, Facebook Marketplace, another way that people are selling things uh, at home to, to, to earn some extra money. But I know this past Christmas, I used Etsy quite a lot, right? I liked the fact that I was buying from someone who was actually putting the effort into making these things themselves. And although, um, and I'd always look for Canadians so that even although it wasn't uber local being all in Newfoundland, it was, I felt, still felt I was supporting the Canadian economy and you get some really great products and like really quality stuff that people have um, started to, to turn into a business for themselves. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the, the demographics here and some of the things that kind of surprised me a little bit just before we go to break. So one of the things that surprised me was top reasons for working in the gig economy was having autonomy and control. And I would have thought that this was the top reason more for millennials, but in actual uh, fact, that was 48% of millennials felt that, felt that was their top reason. But boomers, surprisingly enough, who I would have thought were used to being in sort of the regular workforce working for someone else, there were 70% said that that was their top reason <laughs> for working in the gig economy. Does that surprise you at all, Barry? You know what? Not at all. Boomers presumably have been in the workforce for many, many decades. And honestly, they're probably just tired of it. They're tired of doing the same grind, you know, hearing the same complaints from their boss who they may or may not be competent. I don't want to throw people under the bus here. Uh, but I think the gig economy is appealing to boomers because finally, maybe they get to control their schedule and what they do. And that's what they're looking for at that age. Yeah, it does make sense, actually, when you put it like that. So while it's clear that there are certainly benefits to working in the gig economy, there's also challenges. And the biggest among them is, has to do with your finances. So Barry's going to have some advice on that when we come back. Please stay with us. Join Brian Medor weekdays at noon for a comprehensive update on news from every corner on all levels. Newsmakers, weather, and more. Join us on your VOCM at noon. Welcome back. You're listening to Your Money. I'm your host, Nancy Sneddon, licensed insolvency trustee with BD 
CEO Canada here in Newfoundland and Labrador. My guest today is personal finance expert, public speaker, blogger, freelance writer, and gig economy expert, Barry Choi. So Barry, our focus today, of course, is the gig economy. And we discussed before the break, it's really growing here in Canada. And there are more and more people getting into this type of self-employment and really for differing reasons. So for some, it's a side hustle and a way to earn some extra money amid the rising inflation, of course, that we've been talking about for quite some time now. And for others, it's becoming their main source of income as they seek more autonomy, maybe in, in what their work life looks like. For some, it was necessary, right, to find a new source of employment, uh, as many people lost um, their job during the pandemic. And maybe better work-life work balance as well, because it really allows them to pursue their passion. And while the gig work may give you more flexibility, it does present its challenges. And the biggest is sporadic or sometimes fluctuating uh, finances. Some months may be easier than others. And that can make managing finance a bit more challenging. And after all, we know most gig workers are not receiving that regular paycheck every week or even every two weeks. So Barry, what advice or tips can you share with our listeners when it comes to managing finances as a gig worker? You know, I think I'll talk to like the people who are considering the gig economy me uh, first. That's both those who are already in it. You know, it is like you said, the money is not consistent. That's the whole point of the gig economy. Since you're considering the gig economy as your main source of income, uh, you really need to plan ahead is what I would say more than anything else. You, you know, when I was thinking about leaving my full-time job, uh, I, I increased my emergency fund. Uh, I increased, I made it six months worth of expenses. For those who are listening and are familiar with emergency funds, it's literally a fund to cover your emergencies. Uh, I like to, to have three months worth of expenses that would cover my mortgage, um, my living expenses, my groceries. Uh, but again, I asked it up to six months because I was like, hey, you know, I'm not sure how this is going to go. So I need to build myself a little bit of a buffer. Uh, and once I actually hit the, the gig economy and started doing things, uh, you, you know, everyone will learn very quickly that the income fluctuates month to month. So that's where you really got to pay extra attention to your budget and, and, you know, just kind of have a general idea of your expenses and your income. Because basically, once you've got a proper budget in place, you know, like, hey, I need X amount to survive every single month. And if you're not making that much one month, that's okay because you can dip into your savings. But if you're making more the next month, you got to remember to replenish your savings. Uh, so it's something that's always, you, you know, in flux because admittedly, you know, you can have the best laid plans and then something like COVID ha- happens. To give you a good example, uh, as soon as COVID happened, my income dropped 75% overnight. And as a gig economy worker, that was a very scary thing. And I'll admit it took about six months for me to recover. Uh, and that's because I had to work twice as hard. So, so, so for those who are looking to manage their money in the gig economy, it's just something that you constantly need to look at. Uh, I, I, I'm not saying you need to stress about it every single day or, or have sleepless nights, but it is something to be aware of. For sure. So I guess for those who are considering entering the gig economy, there's going to be different considerations, whether they're planning on using this as their only source of income versus to supplement their income, right? That's exactly it. You know, one one thing about the gig economy is right now it's this hot, hot topic. Everyone's talking about it, how you can make all this money. I literally saw a headline yesterday on, on insider.com. It's, it's like, you know, clickbait, you know, how this 30-year-old made $110,000 a month in passive income, uh, and you can do it too for less than $100. And then like, when we actually read the quote-unquote advice the guy gives, you realize like, this guy must have spent 10 years building up everything he's talking about. It just doesn't happen. 
happen overnight. So yeah, it is something that that's very difficult to manage, and it's it's not like uh, uh, instant rich riches if you want to put it that way. It, it's still a job for people, and I'll be very clear. You know, I work harder now as a gig economy person than I ever did working uh, full time employment. Uh, that said, I have more control over my schedule and my finances, so so there is a reward on my end. Uh, so again, I, I just want people to understand that uh, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Absolutely. There's definitely pros and cons, right? Like sometimes people think, oh, I'm going to be my own boss. That's what I want. That's going to be fantastic. <laughs> but if you talk to most entrepreneurs, to your point uh, just a few minutes ago, they're working harder than they worked when they were working for someone else because <laughs> it is their business and it takes time to build up that business and that reputation and, and to look to get the success that you're looking for, right? Yeah, being your own boss sounds really, really good in theory until you actually do it. Like, like I joke about this, like, you know, I don't get paid anymore to, like, send emails. I don't get paid when I'm in a meeting. Like, you know, when I was a, a full-time employee, I got paid to go to the washroom if you think about it, right? Uh, so so it, it's kind of like, yeah, like, like now everything is on you. And, again, like you said, there's pros and cons. There's some rewards. You know, just to be clear to listeners, the reason I joined the gig economy and left my full-time job is because uh, my wife and I had a daughter, and I used to work a schedule that was basically three to midnight. And I, I, I realized that if I want to see my daughter grow up, if I want to spend time with her and be the parent that I, I imagined to be, I would have to make a change. And yes, my schedule is more difficult, uh, but it's very rewarding. You know, even this interview right now, you know, I'm able to do it because I had time to drop off my daughter and now I can come home and do this call. Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, so, so again, uh, there's definitely some pros and cons, uh, but it's, it's not always the greatest thing in the world, admittedly. Yeah, it, it's not for everyone, right? For sure. And for some people, it is something that will become full-time. For others, it is something to, to, to supplement the income that they have on a more regular basis. But in either case, you talked about the importance of having a budget, right, and a, and a financial plan, especially when you're freelancing more for, as a, a source of your, your main income and working in the, in mm-hmm. the big economy. So we all know it's important to budget regardless of your source of income, right, and, and to make sure that you're planning for the future. You, you do have that money that you're putting away in savings and for an emergency and also for retirement and, and all the other things that you may want to save for, including your, you know, your kid's education. But does it matter, or I guess does it change how often you should be reviewing uh, your budget and your financial plan if you're working solely in a gig economy? Definitely. You know, I, I, I don't want to like, you know, keep talking about this, but because the income does change on a monthly basis. You need to make those decisions and you do need to look at your budget on a more regular basis. Uh, you, you know, you know, I had a very slow summer or, and that was by choice because my daughter was home from school. Like I wouldn't be able to watch her and, uh, work at the same time. So I knew for the summer I would run a little bit lean. And then I got fortunate because right now I was like, Hey, we're leaving through school year. I'm going to start, you know, booking more work in September and October. So, so what I'm getting at is that anyone in the gig economy should be protecting their expenses as best as they possibly can. You know, sometimes you can do it, sometimes you can't. So when there is an opportunity where, where you're making more money, maybe that's the time to invest either in yourself, your retirement savings, your kids' education, paying down your mortgage, whatever it may be. Uh, so it's, it's you're constantly juggling your expenses and you need to kind of figure out what makes more sense for you. There'll be times where it makes sense to grow your business and there'll be times where it's like, hey, you know what, let's keep the status quo, uh, maybe put some extra money in the bank because I might be running into some lean months coming up. 
No, absolutely. You, t- you constantly need to be looking at what's coming in and going out and managing it appropriately. And like you said, planning is even more important, right? Because you don't know when you're going to have those peaks and valleys necessarily. But you mentioned tracking um, your expenses and looking at your expenses. But I think for me, people really need to be considering a step further, right? And looking at their personal expenses versus their business expenses, right? And making sure they're keeping them separate. That's exactly it. When you become a, a freelancer, gig economy, or whatever, it's, it's basically self-employment income. And as a result of that, you can claim some of your expenses that are related to the operation of your business, uh, whatever that be. Uh, you know, that could be home office expenses, car maintenance, uh, even office supplies. But you can only claim what's related to your business. So as a good example, let's just say you work from home, uh, you do graphic design on the side, and your desk takes up 10% of, of your, your living area. Well, technically speaking, you can claim 10% of your electricity, wireless bills, whatever is related to uh, your business, but but not the other 90% because it's personal expenses. So, you know, if people are trying to keep things simple and they want to keep things completely separate, the obvious thing would, would be to uh, just get a business credit card and charge everything there. But again, if you're splitting uh, exp- some expenses that are for both personal and business, you just got to do some mental math or, or write it down or calculate it. Uh, so when it comes time to file your taxes, you're doing everything correctly. You know, it's so, so important. And we all know, you know, estimates don't work with Revenue Canada, right? You need to have the proper <laughs> documentation and support for the, the expenses that you're you're claiming there. I mean, uh, so it, it does become very important to track that stuff, not only so in case you are asked for by Revenue Canada, but also to ensure that you are claiming everything that you can, right? And, and that you are getting the benefit of the money that you're expending to run that gig economy business. That's exactly it, because if you're not hanging on to receipts, you know, technically speaking, you could probably claim it, but if you ever get audited and you don't have the paper trail, uh, the CRA is going to say that expense doesn't count. So so having a good uh, expense tracking or good personal management is always good because what happens is it it reduces your overall tax burden. Uh, And I think every Canadian would be happy to reduce your tax bill if possible. Uh, And people sometimes don't even realize that, hey, you know what, you actually do need to pay taxes on the gig economy work because so many people are are used to having their employers take off the taxes on their paycheck. Well, that doesn't happen for the gig economy. You need to set aside money for your taxes. Uh, So that's another money management thing that people need to consider when joining the gig economy. Absolutely. And that's a really good segue because when we come back, we're going to talk exactly about the impact (laughs) that the gig economy can have on you at tax time. So please stay with us. Weekday mornings from 530 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. Welcome back. You're listening to Your Money here on VOCM. I'm your host, Nancy Snedden, licensed insolvency trustee with BDO Canada here in Newfoundland and Labrador. I'm joined today by Barry Chow. He's a personal finance expert expert, public speaker, blogger, freelance writer, and gig economy expert. So today, Gary, we're talking about the gig economy here in Canada. And since the pandemic and and since the spike in inflation, really, more and more Canadians are getting into the gig economy. We started to talk a little bit in the last segment about the tax implications and making sure that you're tracking your business expenses uh, so that you ensure you have the support, should you be asked by Revenue Canada, but also to make sure that you're getting the benefit of those expenses as a deduction against your income. But there are many tax implications, right, that people need to be aware of as they enter the gig economy, whether it's full-time or part-time. So let's talk a little bit about those. What do gig workers need to understand when it comes to filing taxes? 
I think the first thing to understand is that any money you make in the gig economy is considered additional income. Uh, so it's not like you can just make the money and, and think that you're not going to have to pay taxes. Uh, so, you know, let's just say for argument's sake, you, you have a full-time salary of $50,000 and then you make uh, a side income of $20,000. So your total income for a year is $70,000. Uh, so for that extra $20,000 that you're making, you need to kind of factor in the, the taxes that you'll need to pay. Uh, and that's obviously important because the CRA always wants their tax money and they will not let you off. No, absolutely. And I think it's it's also important for people to think about the percentage of the earnings, right? That should go towards mm-hmm. taxes. And, and to your point, making sure you're putting that aside and being mindful, I guess, of if you are doing this as a side hustle and it's not your main source of income so that you have other taxable income that you're claiming here, you need to be mindful of is that income putting you into a higher tax bracket, right? That's exactly it. So generally speaking, I typically tell people to set aside about 25 to 30% of their uh, side gig income for tax purposes. Uh, But like you mentioned, if you're in a higher tax bracket, you may need to save even more. You might need to save anywhere up to up to 50%. Um, So the easiest way for people to estimate that is just to go to the government of Canada website. And then there's an online calculator that will, will tell you uh, how much roughly you'll need to pay for taxes. So if you know the side income is putting you to a higher tax bracket, okay, you can save accordingly. And for those people who are successful uh, in, in the gig economy, there's one key thing that people got to realize that if you make at least $30,000 in any calendar year, um, the CRA requires you to register for an HST or GST number. Uh, and from that point moving forward, you need to charge, charge all of your clients taxes. Uh, so that can be easy if you're dealing with Canadian clients. Uh, technically speaking, if you're dealing with customers outside of Canada, they're zero rated, so you don't charge them taxes. Uh, but it becomes very tricky if all of a sudden you're using digital platforms to sell your services to people all over the world because the government has implemented different uh, tax rules. Some of those digital uh, platforms have complied, but not all of them. So there might still be a tax liability on your end. Absolutely. And, you know, if you're not filing those returns and you're not paying the proper tax liabilities, whether it's because you were unaware or not, it doesn't really matter, mm-hmm. right? You still get the same interest and penalties for not having filed. So it's important, I think, Gary, as you go into this, if you are if you are selling online all over the world or you have customers that are outside of Canada to talk to a professional, right, to make sure that you are doing things the way that you should. Talking to a professional is essential. And I want to say this, and this may sound weird to to listeners, but it doesn't matter what kind of services you're doing online. In the eyes of the CRA, you're just making an income. No one's going to think less of you if you're doing certain services that people may not approve of. Like, uh, say you're a streamer on Twitch or a streamer on OnlyFans. You know, I bring these things up because people are doing it. These are popular websites. And, and, you know, although it may be taboo in the day-to-day society, the CRA does not care. As long as you're making it come on the side and you're paying the taxes, uh, you're good. And speaking to a professional is important, especially those who have dealt with other clients that have that offer similar services so they can guide you through the process to make sure you're audited and you're paying only the amount of taxes that, that you owe. 
No, absolutely. So Barry, when it comes to putting away these monies to make sure you have it when tax time comes or when your installments are due, however uh, it's necessary in your circumstance to pay your taxes, what's your, your recommendation here? Should people be managing this monthly? Should they be putting money away as they you know, collect on each invoice? Should they have a separate account? Like, What's your recommendation here? So it's up to the individual, but generally speaking, for me personally, I find the easiest thing to do is to separate uh, or rather to open a separate tax account. And what I mean by that is I have a high interest savings account with one of the digital banks online. They allow me to open multiple uh, accounts or subheadings, whatever you want to call it, within that account. So I basically have a separate account that's just for tax purposes. So for me personally, you know, every single month uh, or rather every single time I get paid, I will set aside the 35% um, plus my HST. So when you think about it, I'm actually setting aside close to 50% every single month to ensure sure uh, my tax obligations are are met um, but you know some people will, will do it in other ways uh, one thing to also that we should cover really quickly is the fact that if you owe at least three thousand dollars in taxes uh, the CRA will require you to, to make quarterly payments the following year so if that happens to you uh, then you know you, you got to keep a track of that also no, it is super important and they will, you know, if you don't make those installments and they've told you it's necessary, you are going to pay uh, interest on those as well. So it, it's super important to understand what the requirements are, depending on the level of income that you're earning from these um, from these side hustles. So, Gary, when we talked about uh, expenses earlier and, you know, we talked about the importance of keeping the receipts to make sure you're able to clean all those things. Um, but what deductions can people claim? So what is it really important for them to make sure that they're tracking when it comes to that? Because some people, there are, there are rules, right, on what you can claim and what you can't. So what advice do you have mm -hmm. for listeners on that? Well, the first thing I would say is the government of Canada website actually has some fantastic resources available to explain what expenses are available, what the gig economy is. Uh, so if you're entering the gig economy, you're already in the gig economy, I highly recommend reading up up on these websites so you know exactly what you can claim. So, you know, for example, let's just say you uh, do online work. You're, you're a, a digital artist and you sell your artwork online. Well, technically speaking, all your materials are, are business expenses. You know, you were talking about Etsy earlier. If someone's producing art and the canvases, the paint, the brushes that they use, those are all technically office expenses. They also need to have internet access to access their Etsy store, marketing, you know, ads, all these things can be expensive. You know, we talked about it earlier, but the key thing to understand is that as long as it's related to operating your business, the odds are it can be claimed to a certain extent. You know, not everything can be claimed at 100%, but as long as you keep those receipts and you enter it into tax software, it'll automatically do the math for you. No, that's great. And so I guess another common question that often comes up, Barry, when it comes to people who are entering the gig economy, whether full-time or part-time, is should they incorporate? So what's your advice on this? And, and can you maybe give us some pros and cons around being incorporated versus not? You know, just uh, for incorporation purposes, generalized, you know, the, the biggest benefit is the fact that it gives you separation uh, from an individual. So from a legal standpoint, it just gives you a few extra layers of protection. Uh, that said, it can be kind of expensive to incorporate uh, also. So, you know, if, you, if you're just doing some digital art or selling an Etsy, selling on your Etsy store and making just 
small income on the side, well, you probably don't necessarily need to incorporate. Uh, the other advantage of incorporating is that within the Canadian tax system, you actually fall under a, a lower tax bracket. So it sounds great to people who are listening. It's like, oh, I'm going to incorporate. I'm going to pay less taxes. Well, technically, it's, you're paying lower tax as part of the corporation. So that only benefits you if you're keeping the money inside the corporation. So if you end up taking that money out and paying yourself an additional salary, it's still adding to your personal income. So there's no real <laughs> tax advantage there. Uh, so, you know, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier about hiring a professional, talking to a professional, uh, and they can advise you. So in this case, you would want to talk to an accountant. No, absolutely. And you're right. If you're taking every cent that you earn out of the business or even like most of the money out of the business, you're not really getting that tax benefit. So it really becomes more of a benefit to you when, you know, you your savings say that you're getting from that business or staying in the business and you're not paying tax on it until you, you, you actually do take it out. So I think that's some really great advice. One of the biggest benefits of working for someone else is just that you have benefits, right? Medical, health, dental, all that stuff. So we're going to talk about that and how benefits matter or, or we can still get benefits, I guess, as a gig worker. So Barry's going to have some advice on that when we come back. Please stay with us. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. Welcome back. You're listening to Your Money with BDO. I'm your host, Nancy Snedden, Licensed Insolvency Trustee with BDO Canada here in Newfoundland and Labrador. My guest today is personal finance expert, public speaker, blogger, freelance writer, and gig economy expert, Barry Choi. So Barry, we've been talking a lot about the gig economy and whether people are, you know, getting into the gig economy. Now they've been in it for a while. They're using it as their full source of income or to supplement their income. There's no doubt that we're seeing a lot of growth in this here in Canada. As you've been hearing, while there are pros to working in the gig economy, there are also cons. And one of them is benefits. So we all know when we're employed, you know, our most most employers would have health benefits, dental benefits, even you know pensions, things like that, that we're considering disability insurances. But surveys show that not having benefits is among the biggest financial downside to the gig economy for all age demographics. Doesn't matter uh, what age demographic we're looking at here. So for no benefits, medical, dental, and disability, 87% of boomers, 72% of Gen Xers, and 67% of millennials say it's the biggest financial downside and not being paid when you're sick was number two and that's 57% of boomers 55% of Gen Xers and 55% of millennials so while you may not have the security of an employer's benefit program there are various forms of insurance that you can sign up for to supplement your universal health care so Barry what advice do you have and, and what should gig workers consider when they're signing up for insurance uh, you know, my first advice would be to hope that you've got a partner or stuff that gives you benefits. <laughs> that would be the easiest solution. Uh, but obviously, that's not the case. You know, I'll, I'll say that. You know, we're talking about taxes earlier. So if you need to purchase any insurance or, uh, you know, medical procedures, it may count as a, a taxable write-off to a certain extent. So it might not actually cost you as much as you think. Uh, but the, what, what I actually recommend people is to, you know, treat all these expenses strictly as another expense. You know, it's true. You know, as a gig economy worker, you won't have employer disability insurance. Uh, but as, as a freelancer, you can purchase that on your own. You can purchase different insurance policies. So yes, it comes with a cost, but like I said, it might count as a business expense. Now, if you're, if those listening who 
are thinking about joining the gig economy and, and yes, there are uh, separate health insurance plans you can purchase, but generally speaking, uh, you're not going to benefit from them. You know, insurance policies sell these things to make money. So if you're, if everyone's buying a policy and they're claiming more than they're paying, uh, insurance companies would go out of business very, very quickly. <laughs> uh, so obviously, you know, it's more for those, those huge unaccounted things uh, that come up that could be beneficial. But, you know, I would say look at your individual insurance needs and decide what's important. And to give you a practical example, just so people really understand what's going on. Uh, for me, I've got multiple insurance policies. You know, I've got disability insurance policy in case I'm, I'm in an accident, cannot work. Uh, my income will be supplemented. I have a life insurance policy. You know, I've got a child, I've got a wife. Did you depend on my income? If, if the worst case scenario happens, there'll be a payout. I've also got errors and emissions uh, insurance. As, as a freelance writer uh, that, that appears on television, I got I'm protected. So depending on what you do as a freelancer, you got to look into what kind of insurance policies that are required. And, and these are things that are very important and it would be crazy not to purchase them in my opinion. No, absolutely. Everyone's situation is going to be different, right? So in these scenarios, too, you may want to talk to a professional to understand the pros and cons of all these different policies and whether or not you should be getting them. So to your point, you have a wife and daughter. God forbid something happened to you, you want to make sure they're provided for. If you're single and have no dependents, maybe you don't need to necessarily spend the money on a life insurance policy. If you have, you know, a family history of health issues, you may want to consider health insurance to make sure that you do have the ability to, you know, get prescriptions and all the things that you may need as as you get older. So there's many considerations to your point. It's not going to be a one size fits all approach for everyone for certain. So Barry, what else should people be factoring in when they're trying to decide on the various forms of insurance that they need? You know, I, I think the key thing you said is to talk to professionals because every single insurance policy is different. Uh, again, like you said, there's not one thing that that's, that's appropriate for everyone. Everyone's got different expenses, different work, different health concerns. So speaking to a professional is ideal because they can tell you about the different policies. But I'll say this also, it probably helps to get a second opinion. Uh, just in case, right? Because, you know, you said something very casual. You're like, hey, you know, if you're single, you have no dependents, you probably don't need life insurance, which is 100% true. But unfortunately, there are a lot of salespeople out there who are just looking to make money and they'll try to sell you any policy possible and try to make it sound like, oh, it's a good investment. You know, uh, you can give it to your parents, you can give it to your brother. Uh, so, so my advice is to, you know, not only speak to more than one professional, but to also shop around in general because there are more than one insurance provider and all of them have different rates and they may qualify you in different ways. Absolutely. And, and, you know, talking to different types of organizations, right? So, you know, different brokers who sometimes brokers have specific products that they're trying um, to sell and, and others are more um, truly independent, right? And, and really offering a broad range of things. So I agree. A second opinion is always good. And you want to make sure too, that you feel comfortable with the person because you're going to be sharing a lot of personal information with them, right? And, and and making sure that you're comfortable with sharing that information and that you're you're feeling good about what you're you're getting back from them. Yeah, you know, having a professional relationship is always a good idea. Uh, but you know, at the same time, you just want to make sure that it is professional and friendly because the last thing you want is to trust in someone who's a friend. Uh, and then that you quickly realize that they're selling you things that make them money and don't necessarily help you. 
So Barry, some really great advice for listeners today, whether they're in the gig economy, considering getting into the gig economy. So really um, beneficial, I think, for everyone out there who's, who's looking at that as a supplemental or source of income for them. But we do have some time now for some final thoughts. So if you could leave our listeners with the final thought today, what would it be? You know, I would say this, like the gig economy is a great thing if you're if you're looking to earn extra income, if you're trying to make it uh, maybe a full-time thing for yourself. But like anything else in life, you really got to need to look at the pros and cons. Yes, there's potential to make more money. Yes, you can be your own boss, but there's a lot of cons also. You know, you're going to end up working a lot harder. There will be times where you're not making as much money. You're going to have to pay for, for more insurance and benefits. So it can totally be worth it, but just look at it from the big picture perspective. And at the same time, don't be afraid to try it out on a part-time basis first and then see if, if you enjoy it and see if, it, if you believe that there's a possibility for you to make it a full-time gig. And I think to talking to others who have done it, right? Um, um, one of the benefits I think to social media is that it has created communities of people, right? To share experiences. So even, you know, joining those communities and talking and getting other people's uh, insights, advice, and, and the way that they went about things, really do your research uh, to your point before you decide that you're going to make this a full-time thing is also very beneficial, I would think. You know, definitely having a network uh, is essential. You know, when I first started it, admittedly, what I was doing was kind of unique. Uh, so I had to do it from trial and error. And, and since then, there have been quite a few people have reached out and said, hey, I want to do something similar to you. What advice do you have? And, you, you know, a lot of people listen to my thing is, hey, why would you give away your tips? You know, you don't want them to be your competition. No, that's the furthest thing from the truth. I don't want these people to make the same mistakes I made. There's more than enough work to go around. It doesn't have to be a competition because what you'll quickly realize that when you build a network, there's actually more work to be had because they might give you work that they can't do. No, absolutely. A, a network is so important, no matter what, to, what type of business you're in. I couldn't agree more. So, Barry, thanks again for joining me today. If our listeners wanted to reach out to you, wanted more information, some more advice on the gig economy, what's the best way for them to do that? You know, they can check out my website, moneywehave.com. They can also reach, reach out to me directly on Twitter, at Barry Choi. Great. Well, thanks again for joining me today. And also to our listeners, remember, I always want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question or a topic that you'd like me to discuss here on Your Money, you can email me at yourmoney@bdo.ca or give me a call at 800-563-8337. Until next week, I'm Nancy Sneddon. Stay safe and be well, everyone. If you have a question or comment, send an email to yourmoney@bdo.ca. This has been Your Money with Nancy Sneddon of BDO, Licensed and Solvency Trustees on your VOCM.